a rainbow color ramp for a heat map is an absolute disaster. Ladies and Absolutely. gentlemen, if I see another you know, rainbow heat map, <laughs> I'm going to lose my... This podcast is brought to you by the team at Esri Australia. To get your hands on more short, sharp and immediately useful resources, head to the Esri Australia website and search for Goldmine. Welcome to GIS Directions podcast series. I'm Tartanika. I'm Wayne Liacha. And I'm Josh Vanman. And today we'll be talking about all things integrity in mapping, how to create maps with integrity. In this episode, we'll take you through all things true or false in maps. Now, we've all seen some bushfires blazing across Australia, as well as a couple of global health epidemics. And we've seen some maps that have received some serious mainstream attention. Now, unfortunately, though, some of these maps have caused some confusion to the masses uh, with different maps of the same places, sometimes providing conflicting information. Now, we know that technology isn't the problem. Uh, Often the data isn't the problem either. So what is the problem and how can we make sure that the maps we create tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Now, I might throw this to Wayne to begin with. Well, I think it's a great question. Thanks, Tar. And um, like, it's very topical as well, isn't it? I think we've, we've seen, uh, as you said, with the bushfires, with uh, natural disasters, uh, we're, we're starting to see the creep of, of very quick shot maps. Um, so those maps that need to be released very, very quickly for a specific purpose may not have had the attention to detail that they needed. Uh, and, and then the results the mistruths or the, the the misrepresentations that they then you know have within them get released out to the mainstream public and one of the classic ones that i can think of right now uh is the uh, the cyclone coming in to the united states and president trump with his sharpie extending the map to show that it was going to hit alabama so you know it's very easy to to lie blatantly with maps but there are other sort of more subtle ways that mistruths creep into maps to me, it, it comes down to intent, um, and, and the intent may change um, depending on where the data comes from and who's making the map. And if I think about the context of, of the, some of the recent um, bushfire maps, which gained varying degrees of good and bad attention, you know, the worst case being the one that would uh, make you believe that the entire continent was ablaze. I mean, clearly that person had intent. Um, and the intent was good from what I read, uh, but it was misinterpreted, uh, the result of what he did. And even when he kind of rationalised what his intent was, uh, the map still told uh, an ambiguous picture. And I think, for me, that's what we're talking about here today, is ambiguity in the message that a map is delivering. Sure. Absolutely, Josh. What's the deliberate message that a map creator is trying to get across? And how can that message be misinterpreted, particularly with visuals when we're talking about maps? Um, Something that I've seen a lot of is individuals just across the globe who are taking a map of the continent of Australia, then placing it over their own continent. So, for example, um, you know, the United States and saying if the bushfires were occurring in the United States, this is how much land would have been uh, burnt up, you know, all of the the Midwest and things, Um, something that's a message that's really important and is trying to be brought to scale for um, members of different communities. And that brings us to another really great point, which is what is the scale when creating these maps, um, the value of the data and information and how that's relatable to other users and other consumers. What are your thoughts on that, Josh? I think it's tough because do I really know who the audience is? I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that the intent in that situation was very rough comparison of scale. So if I saw the Australian continent superimposed over the United States, 
my takeaway, and I don't think it would be unique, is hmm, they're about the same. You know, if I travel from New York to San Francisco, it would be like going from Sydney to Perth. Yeah. Um, if you start putting the fires on top of it and drawing conclusions about relativity, as a someone who's in the world of geography, I think it loses credibility mm-hmm. uh, because the geography and the terrain and the landscape of the United States is not like Australia. Yeah. So do you think a bit of, of inside knowledge as GIS experts maybe exposes some of those those mistruths that are, that we see on maps more to us uh, than to the general public, do you think? For sure. I mean, I, do, I, th- I think perhaps we have heightened uh, appreciation and, and perhaps of the nuances. scrutiny of, mm. of these things. But again, and I keep harping on about it, I think it's about intent. And, and as, you know, if we're talking to our audience who make maps, you know, I think it's important we relay how we think they can be clear on their intent and use the tools to make sure mm-hmm. that the, the message they're delivering is as clear as possible and minimizes ambiguity. Absolutely. Now, when we intend to do something, anything at all, whether it's spatial or outside, uh, we intend for it to have a specific impact on our audience or our community, right? Something that I think of when I think of intent is where am I getting my data, my data sources? Now, I intend to give accurate, timely information to the public, but what about my data sources? How do I know that I have data that I can trust and that when I'm putting this data into a map and spreading it, that it's actually meeting my intent and that I am not misinforming the public. A really interesting part of this topic that we're, we're getting into, and it's about intent and about um, the veracity of the source data that we use. Um, and so one of the, the things that, that I wanted to highlight there is that sometimes it's not always about intent and sometimes it is about intent. So um, one of the classics is that um, a lot of the time, people like to try and put things onto a map and compare it to other regions. We we look at the regions uh, in Australia, we might break down by states or by suburbs. But one of the things people forget to do is to normalise their data and to normalise what they're trying to represent on their map based upon the population that underlies that information. And so what we find is people have these maps that produce amazing insights into some topic that they've uh, they've been researching. But at the end of the day, the map is really just representing the population distribution around that particular area. So congratulations, you've accidentally just created another population map and it's not really showing what you think it's showing. (laughs) So that's where intent hasn't actually been the problem in creating that map. It's just a a lack of, of understanding of how to actually accurately represent that information. But in other cases, we can clearly see that intent is is the, the issue that triggers changes in maps and mistruths in maps. And the case that I'd like to sort of look at here is how land borders and country borders differ depending upon which country you're viewing certain maps from online. Now, I I am talking about the big G here. Mm -hmm. And if you have a look at, say, land borders from the Chinese perspective versus from the Indian perspective, the maps that are produced show different land borders. And this is due to land disputes and border disputes. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what is the intent there? Why have borders and boundaries been shown to one country in one way and to another country in another way? Is this to avoid dispute? Is this to avoid uh, you know argument? Or is there a politic behind this that is driving the intent? So I think it's actually really important that you look at where the data is coming from. So th- can you trust that there's no political sort of bent behind what's being displayed on a map? Mm-hmm. Have you seen this in action, Josh, at all? Um, I have, yes. 
while the, the thread's kind of current in my mind, I just want to talk about an aspect of, of this, which is kind of pedigree and lineage. Yeah. Um, which, which is really what you were saying, Wayne, but I think about situations around the bushfire um, data recently, particularly. Sure. Um, but you've got uh, firefighting authorities like CFA and the RFS yep. who are doing the hard yards to gather firefront information and push it through some kind of pipeline which drives their operational activities, first of all, to help put out those fires and make people safe, but also inform the public. And that in itself, that process of making the data available to the public also makes it available to anybody else mm -hmm. who chooses to consume it. And, and I think that's an important part because the RFS data, for example, the CFA data is authoritative. You know, you mm. can tell where it came mm -hmm. from. But the moment it leaves that boundary is where things can get a little more ambiguous mm -hmm. uh, because once it's reinterpreted, represented, reshaped, combined with other things, uh, yeah, it's hard to tell where it came from. Well, that's another a ch another chance for somebody else's intent to creep in on top of what may be authoritative data. So, I mean, in the case of the, the bushfire data, there's you know probably very little uh, barrow to push from RFSs or you know from the firefighters' perspective. Mm -hmm. They don't want to misrepresent uh, that data at all. Um, but there are other you know people, other organisations who might then take that data and apply their own intent in how they represent those statistics and how they represent that spatial information on the map. Absolutely. Now, as a gamer, a secret gamer that Ooh. no one will ever know about, um, <laughs> I uh, something interesting that you've both brought up here is really um, the intent, um, authoritative content, as well as organizations, what's being pushed out. Um, something that I recently read about, Pokemon Go. If you haven't played it, you have to. It's phenomenal. Not going to um, play it. <laughs> he says now. <laughs> Secretly, I'm a 37. Of course you are. <laughs> um, so with Pokemon Go, you know, there were instances where we had uh, users of the game someone I think fell off either a cliff or over a bridge into um, you know uh, a mass or a body of water because they couldn't see the the borders um, uh, you know, was of, of where they were walking to the Canadian guy and the Canadian guy who got um, arrested because he crossed the border uh, between Canada and the US because there was no defined border um, you know of, of where he was walking to when he was trying to catch an Eevee did he get his Eevee he got his Eevee oh, but he also got you know some time in jail which I, I felt badly for him for um back, but, back to earth <laughs> but back to earth now is there ever a time uh, and i'll direct this to you josh that we can you know uh generalize information to to share it with the masses what are your thoughts on that so by generalize you know we mean it in the the gis context right we're talking about simplifying complex polygons yeah. uh, to make them uh rougher mm -hmm. uh, to put it simply um, I, I think there are many a case where that's done for good reason and for a couple of reasons. Um, one is for performance. Mm. Um, you know, we're talking about a digital world here where we're trying to deliver maps to web browsers, drawing the coastline of, of Victoria with every nuance of every inlet and mm -hmm. every cove uh, would not be a good user experience. So things are generalized but uh, to, to make them perform better. But I think the point is be critical about what impact that has on what you're doing with the map. Because for some situations where you just want to see where, you know, Victoria meets the sea, it doesn't matter. You can make it really representational. Mm -hmm. But if you need to see, you know, erosion in a particular bay on the coast of Victoria, then you can't do that. So I think it's part of the, the kind of due diligence that people have to go through when they're making a map to make 
very deliberate decisions about these choices they made mm. cartographically and with mm -hmm. their data and back it up with uh, metadata and appropriate documentation within the map, if they can do it, mm -hmm. to indicate where it comes from. I think that the challenge also, uh, I agree totally there, but one of the other things that I've noticed is making sure that when you do generalize like that, that you do it at the appropriate point in the pipeline. If you generalize stuff too early, then it's very hard to undo what you've, what you've done further down mm -hmm. your, your, you know, your, your production pipeline there. So, you know, if you take you know, suburb boundaries instead of, uh, instead of, you know, mesh block boundaries, and then suddenly you need to represent something at that much finer grain, uh, if you're thrown away the, that greater detail, then you start to get into a space where the lies pile up and sort of you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the mistruths pile up and things become even more ambiguous. Absolutely, and that brings us to another great key takeaway is to watch out for accuracy of data and scale. We've talked about generalizing and the importance um, of generalizing for specific scenarios and situations, but also watching out for accuracy of data and scales. Now, are there any additional points that you guys can bring up that we can leave our users with? I think, Tar, that um, a lot of the time, we've, we talked about intent, but I think actually a lot of the times, the, the, the biggest mistruthful maps that I've seen weren't actually meant to be that way. It's just that people don't completely comprehend the uh, the ramifications of mm -hmm. what they're doing. It's very easy to get caught up in the, the glitz and the glamour and the, the sparkly bits of mapping today because it's so easy and so oh, accessible. Absolutely, I love a good colour ramp. Oh, everyone loves a good colour ramp, but I tell you what, a rainbow colour ramp for a heat map is an absolute disaster. Ladies and absolutely. gentlemen, if I see another you know rainbow heat map, <laughs> I'm going to lose my my cool because there's nowhere to go with a rainbow color scheme. It doesn't allow you any space to actually express another variable mm. in your mapping. But they look good, don't they, Josh? <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think my uh, you know my my wisdom, if I, if I have any, is kind of in in this digital world where you know there's a, a pressure to be expedient around getting data in front of your audience. Um, to do that, you kind of have to expect that those resourceful users are going to somehow pick up your data and tune it, tune shall we say. It. Use it. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you, if you know that's going to happen and yet you still have to make this delivery, then, you know, you, you just have to make sure you've ticked all the boxes to, to have done due diligence to make sure the pedigree, the lineage of your data is clear before it gets out there. Absolutely. Now, for anyone interested in taking a deeper dive into this topic, head over to gisdirectionspodcast.com.au and we're going to share some resources on the website. Now, there's a great blog on how to design maps to effectively convey messages to your audiences and a really useful online course, Map Design Fundamentals, which literally teaches you the steps to making maps that are easy to use and understand. Thanks for joining us and happy mapping. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Ezra Australia. Yeah.